I believe that the best days are still ahead. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. Take out your Bibles, if you would, this morning, and turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 85, verse 6. But keep your thumb in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Psalms 85, but put your thumb in Acts chapter 2 within your Bibles this morning. A General Motors human resources interviewer asked a young engineer fresh out of MIT. As he interviewed him, he asked, and what starting salary were you looking for? The young graduate answered, well, I was looking for a salary in the neighborhood of 175000 per year starting salary depended upon the benefit package. Uh, the interviewer then asked the job applicant, well, um, what would you say to a package that included a five-week vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, uh, and company matching retirement to 50% of salary? Also, a company car leased every year, say a red Corvette. The graduate looked at the human resources interviewer and said, Wow, are you kidding? The interviewer said, Yeah, but you started it. <laughs> yeah, but you started it. I want to interview you. Could your pastor interview you at the beginning of this message that God has placed upon my heart for my dear Lakeside family this morning? Lately, do you feel that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Do you even have a desire to pray? Does your church life ministry life, even your devotional life, seem a chore? Do you feel like you're just going through the motions, even this morning, when it comes to lifting up your hands, clapping your hands, singing the praises of the Lord? Has the thought of sharing Jesus Christ with others does it give you nightmares? Or, 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 or do you find yourself really careless about the lost? Has the thought, has the thought of running the spiritual race set before you caused you to just coast? Do you feel like you're, you're running on spiritual fumes and your joy tank is almost empty? How many of you has the, the enemy of your soul been tempting you to explore the world of sin instead of following Jesus Christ? And so there's a cry, there's a cry in your innermost being 
God, I need your fresh work, your fresh anointing, your fresh touch in my life. And Lord, do it again in America, these United States of America. I believe all of us could say yes to those questions that I have posed this morning. And I have found that there is only one thing that really, really, really satisfies. A divine visitation of the Holy Spirit of God in our generation, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, and in our nation. The psalmist asked this question, and I believe it's our question this morning in Psalms 85 verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Is that your prayer? It's my prayer this morning. Lord, revive us again. Lord, revive us again. Rend the heavens. Come on down, Holy Spirit, and visit us and revive us again. The message that the Lord has laid upon your pastor's heart this morning is simply two words. Visit us. Visit us. As I pray this morning, place your hand upon your heart. And as you do, it's a sign that you're a candidate for God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, to visit you in a brand new way. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, O oh God, that you would visit us, not only in this service, but in kids' church, even right now. Lord, in the middle school service with Pastor Ben in just a moment, that Lord, throughout this church and across this nation, from sea to shining sea, that you would pour out your Spirit. Lord, beyond any dimension that we could imagine, ask, or think. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen and amen. If you have a study guide, take it out this morning. Praise the Lord. Pastor Ben is taking the middle school uh, young people to their service on the Holy Spirit as we share here this morning. Amen. American visitations. The Great Awakenings. You don't, I don't need to tell you. You don't need to tell me. That our country, our nation, our culture, our generation is in the midst of a gigantic moral meltdown. For the first time in our nation's history, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, uncles and aunts are raising children or grandchildren, nieces and nephews in an X-rated generation. And it'd be easy to throw in the towel and say there's no hope and to close in ourselves, in our churches, like a great four-walled fortress and say, even so, Lord, come, come quickly, 
come in the rapture and forget about the world. But my Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. And like the song that I just played for you, I believe that there's a great awakening coming. I said I believe there's a great awakening coming. That he will visit us. That he will visit us in, as he did in times before. Most Christians today have no sense of church history, Holy Spirit history in America. Would you look at that with me real quickly? Look at me, look at with me if you would this morning real quickly at the great awakenings that God performed in these United States of America. The first great awakening took place in the 1720s and the 1740s. The pilgrims and the Puritans came to America with the purpose to establish a godly nation, a godly land. Yet throughout the 1600s, the spiritual condition of the early colonies declined at an alarming rate. But revival came with a pastor in Massachusetts by the name of Jonathan Edwards. For three months, he had penned a word-for-word -word sermon. And that sermon had been prayed over by the ladies' group in the church. A ladies' group that prayed out to God, Revive us again. Visit us, Almighty God. Many of you know the title of that sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Wouldn't be too popular today with the positive, people-pleasing sermons that we especially hear on TV. But Edwards preached it. A sermon drenched in the prayers of God's people. The Holy Spirit's presence was so strong in that service. History records that strong men held on to the pews as they felt they were sliding into hell. People were rolling in the aisles and screaming out, Oh God, have mercy on our souls. Others trembled uncontrollably. People were screaming for God's grace. But that night, over 500 people were brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it sparked a revival that swept the Massachusetts area, and in fact all of New England, as thousands, literally thousands, were brought to Jesus Christ in the first great awakening in these United States. Because of revival, new training schools were birthed for the training of missionaries and pastors and evangelists. You might know the names of these schools. Princeton, Rutgers, Dartmouth, Brown University, Harvard were all birthed for the training of ministers. Missionaries went by the hundreds to evangelize the Native Americans in the wilderness. This great awakening set the stage for the Declaration of Independence and the Great Revolutionary War and our freedom that we enjoy today. The Second Great Awakening, the early 1800s. 
After the Revolutionary War, the war for independence, America did a down spiral into spiritual and moral decline. Church attendance went down to merely 5 to 10% of the population only went to church. Far worse than what we are experiencing today. John Marshall, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, wrote this. Put the slide up, please. The church is too far gone ever to be redeemed. Ever to be redeemed. The church was written off as obsolete, antiquated. And what about those colleges that had been birthed in the first great awakening for the training of ministers? Things were so bad at Princeton, only two students professed to be Christians. The typical Harvard student was atheist. Students at William Henry College conducted a mock Holy Communion, making fun of that sacred sacrament. Christian students on campuses were so unpopular they would meet in secret and pray behind locked doors. But again, it was among the young adults of that generation that the second great awakening was birthed at Hamden Cindy College in Virginia where a few Christians were meeting behind locked doors praying in secret. Students one by one, began to fall down under the presence and the Spirit of God. More than half of the student body at that school became converted. The revival spread to other campuses. It especially spread to the state of Kentucky where they had camp meetings that were called Brush Arbor meetings. There was the Haystack revival, the prayer revival. Hundreds, thousands were were coming to Jesus Christ because of the revival that was spreading like wildfire across the Midwest, the East, and the West. The Spirit of God was so powerful at these outdoor camp meetings. People would fall to the ground crying out loud to God and His mercy. Thousands were saved. This revival gave birth to the modern missionary movement as hundreds of young adults and young people heeded the call to become missionaries for Jesus Christ. And circuit-riding preachers spread the gospel throughout the primitive states of America. Circuit-riding preachers like Charles Finney were birthed from the spirit of revival. This revival also birthed prison reform, child labor laws, women's rights, and rescue missions. And it set the stage for the abolition of that nightmare practice called slavery. Then the third great awakening, 1850s to 1860s. After some years, the passion of revival died. And America once again became morally and spiritually bankrupt in the mid-19th century. However, in 1857, God raised up a businessman 
Do you believe that God can use businessmen? God raised up a businessman who said, I'm going to start prayer meetings. His name was Jeremiah Lamphere. And he announced a prayer meeting to be held on September 23rd, 1857. And only one person showed up. But in a few months, as a result of men who kept praying, women who kept praying, in just a few months, more than 50,000 people per day were praying. And a prayer revival was sweeping America. At the height of the revival in 1857, offices and stores across our nation were closed at 12 noon. Why? For prayer. For prayer. I know that sounds in this day and age, that sounds impossible, impractical, but it's in our history books. And God raised up spiritual leaders like D.L. Moody at this time and a hymn writer. We sing many of her hymns. Her name, Fanny Crosby. And the hymns that were composed, Revive Us Again. And a song that we love, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Birth through this revival. This revival spread from city to city. It, set, it spread to Cleveland, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, Cincinnati, Ohio, and praise the Lord, Detroit, Michigan. And between one and two million people are estimated to have found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. But to really understand divine visitations, to really become keenly aware of what happens when God, when God's people cry out, visit us, <laughs> visit us. We need a fresh visitation. Visit us, Lord. To understand this, I must take you to Acts chapter 2, to the first and great visitation called Pentecost. Acts 2.1 And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Pentecost. Pentecost. It's a Jewish holy day. It is their Thanksgiving day. It's a Greek word meaning 50. For 50 days had elapsed since the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, they were all with one accord. This accord business. What does it mean? We're not talking Honda Accord here. It means of being of one agreement, one mind. The unity was a beautiful thing. And God responded to a people that were of one mind, crying out, to him yes they were of one mind in crying out to the Lord visit us visit us you see Jesus had already promised what would happen Jesus said behold I send you another comforter let not your heart be troubled I'm sending you someone just like myself the comforter is coming 
Jesus had promised to them that the presence, the person, and the power of the Holy Spirit would be upon them as they prayed with expectation for a divine visitation. Of who? Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on heaven. Let's look at what happened when the church prayed with expectation. I can't tell you how important it is to pray with expectation. Let's look at what happened when the early church prayed with expectation for the Lord to visit us. Acts 2.2 And suddenly there came. Write that word down, suddenly. It's a key, key word in the Acts 2 story of visit us. Suddenly, there came a divine visitation. Why? In answer to their prayerful expectation. This divine visitation wasn't man's agenda. It wasn't a man's format. It wasn't a scheduling by man. It was God's agenda. It was God's doing. It was a God thing. God was breaking in. <laughs> God was moving with a fresh anointing, a fresh touch, a fresh work. Before we pray for revival upon our nation, we must see it in our churches, in our homes, and in our lives. Half Half of the 386,000 churches in America last year did not report one convert. My Bible and your Bible says that judgment will begin in the house of the Lord. It's no wonder America is now the third largest unchurched, unreached nation in the world. We have more heathen, more unbelievers, more, think of it, non-Christians than hardly anywhere else in the world per capita. There are more Christians in communist China today than there are in these United States of America. Suddenly, suddenly, we read in Acts 2. But how about the assemblies of God? The church that we're in fellowship with I just came last month from our general council and the report has gone out that for the first time, for the first time, for the first time, there are not enough young pastors coming on the scene to fill the pulpits of the men who are retiring. The average age of your Assembly of God pastor today in America is age 60. It is now reported sadly and regretfully that there is an increasing, increasing, increasing reliance upon methodology to draw crowds rather than to build healthy congregations. 
While at the same time, there's little or no emphasis on praise and worship. Little no emphasis upon the preaching, the teaching of God's Word or Sunday school. There's little or no emphasis on life in the Spirit. Spiritual gifts exercise and operation in the Sunday service like we enjoyed the last two Sundays is being neglected. It's being discouraged. The fire of the Spirit is being put out because it might, it might, it might annoy the visitor who walks in. And we're more concerned about the visitor that walks in that could be a tither than we are preaching the whole counsel of God. The alarm went out that more and more and more of our churches, I'm talking about Pentecostal Assemblies of God churches, are no longer giving invitations for the unsaved to be saved. No longer giving invitations for people to be born again. And preaching against sin is put down, ignored, neglected, and thought of something that's antiquated, obsolete, and not of our contemporary generation. I went, your pastor went on a hospital call this week to Troy Beaumont Hospital. And as I was ministering to the dear one of this congregation, she said, you know, pastor, I've had a number of people come to me and tell me that Pastor Phil... Is it modern enough? And he needs to get in step with the times. I was thinking and I thought it was about the way I dress. I thought, <laughs> I thought they were referring to the fact that I don't wear red tennis shoes and jeans and a t-shirt when I preach, as so many are. And I asked that, and she said, no, 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 no. It's because you preach the full gospel of God. It's because you preach unholiness. It's because you condemn sin. And you call the saints up to higher ground. It's because you preach the whole loaf and not just a slice. It was just told us that one of our Assembly of God pastors was cornered by his board of deacons and told to curtail the altar services after the Sunday morning services because people, especially the deacons, were not able to watch the football games on TV Sunday afternoon. I've been asked... Pastor Phil, when will there be a I'm okay, you're okay service? When will there be a service that will not shock the visitors that walk in? Where will there be a service where there will not be the speaking or praying in tongues? 
and with the spiritual gifts being exercised, where will there be a service where people are made to be uncomfortable because there is an invitation to, to shun hell and to gain heaven and that uh, sinners uh, need to get right with God? Where will there be a service where the blood of Jesus is not verbalized or vocalized? I look them in the eye and I say, never, never, as long as I'm here. Never. I'm accountable to God. And I need to preach the whole book and not just a part of it. Listen, we don't need another seminar. We don't need another conference or workshop. We need another Pentecost. We need to cry out, Oh God, visit us. Visit us now. We desperately need a suddenly where God breaks in and God breathes upon us. We need a divine visitation. Would you expect with your pastor, would you expect with me a suddenly here at Lakeside? Last night I was on my knees praying over this message and that word gripped my heart. Oh God, oh God, give Lakeside a suddenly, a suddenly visit us, visit us again. Mark it down with God. Suddenly there came a sound. Acts chapter 2 verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Today we have churches with multi-million dollar sound systems. And I don't have a problem with that. We need to beef up ours but more than that my heart craves for a sound from heaven a sound from heaven a sound from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind wind is an awesome symbol of the holy spirit the spirit like wind uh, when it breathes upon you will pur purify your man or your woman your inner being the spirit like the wind has power if you don't believe the wind has power ask those who just experienced hurricane harvey or hurricane irma when God created man, the Bible says He formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then God breathed into His nostrils. And the Bible says He became a living soul. You see, the Spirit, when He visited us, when we receive a divine visitation of the Holy Spirit, it is spiritual mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation as God into your spirit how many of you desire god to breathe upon you to breathe within you new life a fresh anointing a fresh touch from on high hallelujah with god suddenly there also came a sight there also came a sight acts 2 3 they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Why fire? Why fire? Fire is the symbol of divine presence. God's presence. 
Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. We say, we say, where there's smoke, there's in the Bible, in the Bible, where there's fire, there's God's presence. When God's fire gets loose in your person, pride gets burned out, rebellion gets burned out, lust, selfishness can't stand before it. Uh, They're burned out of your person. You see, God desires burned out believers, burned out Christians. I've said it before. And I'll say it again. I'm convinced that if all the sleeping folks would wake up and all the lukewarm people would fire up and all the sour pusses here at Lakeside would sweeten up and all the discouraged would cheer up and all the distressed would look up uh, and all the resentful would make up and all the gossipers would shut up, then there might come a revival. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Visit us, visit us, visit us, Holy Spirit. Fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit's explosive power infused into you and I. Acts 1.8, Jesus said these words, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. God's Spirit is power for the miraculous Power to mend your marriage and your fragmented family. Power to deliver you and set you free from habits and addictions. Power to move in authority in the name of Jesus against the forces of darkness. Power to save a sin-sick soul. You see, Pentecost is a story of power. There's power in the name of Jesus power in his gospel there's power in the blood wonder working power pentecostal power in his spirit oh hail the power of jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him crown him lord of all can i hear an amen this morning give him praise and glory hallelujah Lastly, lastly, I want you to note in the Acts 2 story, the story of Pentecost, God's suddenly brought a sign. God's suddenly brought a sign. Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit The Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit gave them the words. They did the speaking. The Holy Spirit gave the words. This is supraconscious. Right now as I'm speaking to you, every word is being framed a microsecond in my brain before it comes out of my mouth. But when you speak in God's prayer language, when you speak in God's praise language, when the Holy Spirit gives the words, it is supraconscious. It bypasses the conscious mind and it flows from your mouth. Twice in my ministry, twice in my ministry, I have had people that I have ministered to, dear saints of this church, who were known because of a stroke to be unable, unable to speak, to communicate, to talk, 
but when the Holy Spirit of God would come down, they would speak with other tongues because their human brain was not involved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is supernatural. It cannot be manufactured or fabricated by man. It uses your mouth. You need to be willing to open your mouth and open your life for the Lord to visit you, to breathe through you, to speak through you, and He is faithful to do so. The sign that the Holy Spirit had filled believers with power was speaking in unlearned languages or tongues. The Greek word is glossolalia. Glossolalia. You ask, why tongues and not something else? You know, God could have filled them with His Holy Spirit and they would all been doing this. Oh, He's got it. His arm's moving. Look at that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's got it. Why? Why? Why did God choose tongues? Why did God choose what the Bible calls the most unruly member of your body? Well, first of all, it was in fulfillment of a Jesus prophecy. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe. They will speak with new, what? Tongues. Why tongues? Praying in the Spirit, praising in the Spirit is the ultimate affirmation that Jesus is Lord of your life. James chapter 3 verse 6 The tongue is a flame of fire It is full of wickedness And poisons every part of the body The tongue is set on fire by hell itself And it can turn our whole lives Into a blazing flame Of destruction and disaster And you ask me Why God chose to tame the tongue With his Holy Spirit's visitation The Bible reveals That the tongue you see Controls the whole person The whole person The Bible says in James 3.2 If anyone can control his tongue It proves he has perfect control over himself In every other way The baptism in the Holy Spirit is tongue taming Tongue taming It is a testimony of a person's willingness For God, Jesus Christ To control their entire being I read, I read, I read a documented statement by a spirit-filled neurosurgeon. And I love what he says. Oh, it perfectly makes sense with the biblical record and teaching. He said this, I understand why God uses speaking in tongues. The speech centers, the frontal lobe, dominate the brain. I don't see how God himself could do much about the physical brain unless he got a hold of the speech centers. Wow. Say it with me backwards. Wow. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're given a new prayer and praise language. This is prayer. This is praise in a whole new dimension. <laughs> 
It is not controlled by your brain. It is not limited by your limited English vocabulary or the vocabulary of your mother tongue. Have you ever struggled in prayer? Have you ever struggled in praise? You know, our English language is so limited. The other day, I looked at the woman who I've been married to now for almost 40 years. Yes, we're both a little different from age 22 when we were married. But I looked at those beautiful hands that fed and diapered my children, birthed my children. I looked at that beautiful woman of God that has never let me down. I've let her down plenty, but she's never let me down, and it just bubbled in me. I love you. But that seemed, those three words, so inadequate for what I felt. You know, we can say, uh, I love my wife, I love my husband, I love Chevrolet, I love apple pie, I love hot dogs. I hope you understand the levels of degree of love there. English vocabulary and verbiage is so, so limited in its parameters. But when you speak God language, you see when you pray in tongues, when you praise in heaven's language, you are not praising, you are not praying with a limited verbiage or vocabulary. You are praying in the spiritual dimension. You are using God language, heaven's language, which is enlarged in unfathomable, infinite scope. Your prayer and praise time knows no boundaries or barriers whatsoever. And they're always, always, your prayers are always 100% on the target, hitting the bullseye. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? To who? To who? To God. For no one understands Him. In His Spirit, He is speaking. What? Mysteries. Divine revelation. God's words with the very miraculous power, gifted words that God used to create the universe and all that there is with His Word. Let there be light. Existence came out of non-existence. When you pray in the Spirit, when you praise in the Spirit, you're using God's power words. You're using creative, restorative, life-building words. The same token, have you ever been hurt by somebody's words? Can I hear an amen? amen? Have you ever been encouraged and uplifted by somebody's words? It is amazing to me the power behind a word. What happens when God speaks a word to you? 
I said, what happens when God speaks a word to you? The same God who spoke and the stars came into space. The same God who spoke uh, and millions of species of creatures filled the, the world. His word is power. His word is life. His word is restorative. His word is creative. It is no wonder that when you pray in tongues, when you praise in tongues, uh, there comes an up building there comes an edifying there comes a restorative healing miraculous restorative power in your inner man and in your inner woman it's no wonder paul says in first corinthians 14 4 he who speaks in a tongue edifies who that word edify is to build up. You're building up yourself as God is channeling His words, Heaven's words, God language through you. You need to know that God's suddenly brought scoffers. Always has been, always will. God's suddenly brought scoffers. These scoffers, if you remember, were deceived. As many are today. In Acts 2.13 they said, They're drunk. They're drunk on some new kind of wine. That's all it is. Scoffers. Deceptions. Lies. One of the greatest deceptions I've run into as I've pastored you all for more than 30 years. One of the greatest deceptions that has kept you from receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking it in other tongues is this deception. The baptism in the Spirit is just one of many gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not every Christian has this gift. I want you to know, I want it to be abundantly clear. When tongues is taught in the Bible by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, when he speaks and teaches of the gift of tongues, he's talking about the public message in tongues. That should always be followed by its sister gift, the gift of interpretation. But the Bible teaches that, uh, that the Holy Spirit, when He baptizes you, you should speak in tongues. The weight of scriptural evidence is clear. Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 8, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. The strong implication is there. There was objective sign there. Acts chapter 9, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul was. And later on, it says, I speak in tongues more than you all, Paul said. Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching the gospel in the household of Cornelius. And while he was preaching, I would love this, the Holy Spirit came down. And they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. Acts chapter 19, 23 years after Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 19, Paul shows up in the city of Ephesus and Paul asks this question to 12 Christian men. Have you received since you believed? And they said, we haven't even been taught uh, that there is a Holy Spirit 
holy baptism. It must have been a Baptist church, Presbyterian church, Nazarene church. We haven't even been taught this. Paul laid his hands upon them, prayed over them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues and began to prophesy as well as the Spirit gave utterance. I want you to know that every person that is baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues as evidence, the initial physical evidence that you have been filled with the Spirit. But not every person that is baptized in the Holy Spirit and who speaks in tongues has the gift of the public message in tongues. Don't get the two confused. Don't succumb to the deception of the lie that, oh, I, I just don't have that gift and so I don't need to seek it. No, 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 no. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter preached, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. How many of you have been born again and you've been water baptized? Now circle the word and. It's an important conjunction. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is this promise for? The promise is for you. It's for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Honey, it's for everybody. Listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never meant to be an optional experience, but standard equipment for everyone. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, that is in the imperative tense. That's a military command. There's many options that we can learn to live without in our car, and our houses, but we cannot, we must not live without the Spirit of God. We can't do God's work without God's power, for it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about power. Power for prayer. Power for praise. Power for personal holiness. Power for proclamation and witness. The devil fears this power in the church. That's why he has fought the truth, the teaching of the baptism in the Holy Spirit more than any other doctrine. Listen, Satan doesn't mind if we play church here at Lakeside. He doesn't mind if Lakeside becomes a, a playhouse. But his personal nightmare is this, that we receive all that God has for us. That we would receive God's Holy Spirit. That there would be a visitation from on high. His greatest nightmare is not that we become a playhouse, but that we become a powerhouse for the power of God. Hallelujah. I declare to you that we're overdue for an outpouring of God's Spirit upon our nation. In the early 1900s, the early 1900s, in the wake of the Civil War, America spiritually declined again. Many of you know about the Roaring Twenties. 
But then the greatest revival in history erupted in the early 20th century in Topeka, Kansas. Some young people, some young adults. Notice, every revival practically begins with the young. Some young adults had gathered for a prayer meeting and on January the 1st, 1901, believing that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still for today, the first to receive was Agnes Osman. Listen to her quote. She says, it was nearly 11 o'clock at night when it came into my heart to ask for hands to be laid upon me that I might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As hands were laid upon my head, the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I began to speak in tongues, glorifying God. It was as though rivers of living water were proceeding from my innermost being. But it was the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 in Azusa, California, led by a blessed Holy Spirit-empowered, one-eyed African-American pastor. The Azusa Street Revival that spread Pentecostal fire around the world. It was out of this revival that the Assemblies of God, the network, the fellowship this church is a part of, was birthed in 1914 with one main purpose to be the greatest missionary force the world had ever witnessed. Aftershocks of this early 20th century revival came with the charismatic renewal. The charismatic renewal. Can I interview you one more time? How many here this morning? How many here this morning? You are former Catholic. Would you lift up your hand high? Look around you here. Look around you here. Up in the balcony. Down on the main floor. Hands everywhere. You most certainly are a product of the charismatic renewal in the 1960s. The Spirit of God began visiting our nation once again. We thought He would visit an Assembly of God Pentecostal church. He didn't. He visited some nuns in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they began speaking, praising, and praying in other tongues. And the Holy Spirit swept uh, through the Catholic Church. Uh, the church that most would think uh, that's the least of all where God would move. But He did because people were hungry. People were thirsty. And God always visits a people that are hungry and thirsty. And the Spirit of God swept the Catholic Church to such a point, people wanted more, wanted more. And they flooded our churches. I can remember growing up as a kid in the 60s and 70s. And then how many, how many remember the Jesus people movement? The Jesus people movement. Amen. As out of the hippie generation, God did it again. <laughs> He's not limited. Hallelujah to boundaries or barriers and moved on the least that we would have expected. And today, we are a generation of the Spirit like no other in human history. According to a recent forum, Pew Forum poll, Pentecostals, read it on the screen, are the fastest growing religious group, approximately one-fourth of the world's two billion Christians. In the United States, 23% of Christians say they are Pentecostal or charismatic. They both mean the same thing. Recently, a presentation was made to the Evangelical Theological Society. 
In the documented presentation, it was reported that in Chile, South America, the Methodists grew to 5,000 members while the Pentecostals grew to more than 2 million members. It was reported in Brazil. In Brazil, the Baptists grew to 1,050,000 members while the Pentecostals grew to over 21 million in the nation of Brazil. I want you to consider it in early 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. There was only one documented tongue-talking Pentecostal on the planet. Today it is reported there are more than 500 million Pentecostals around the world today. What does it add up to? Church history's greatest revival. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? I believe we're overdue. I believe our nation is overdue for a fresh outpouring fresh revival it's been happening in other nations around the world more churches and congregations are rising up in Tanzania than we have pastors to fill pulpits it's phenomenal what's happening around the world but here in America I cry out oh God do it again you did it once before. Do it again. And let it start in me. Let it start in you. I'm so glad for that promise and I stand on it. In the last days, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I believe before the rapture of the church, because God is not willing that any should perish. That there is going to be a last day's great revival that is going to be so unbelievable. Hallelujah. The best days are still ahead. My dear Lakeside family, how many of you are hungry like me for more of God? How many of you are hungry for a new thing of the Holy Spirit in your life. A fresh awakening. A fresh outpouring. How many of you are saying this morning, Oh God. Oh God. Oh Spirit of God. Visit us. Visit us. This morning if you're hungry for God. If you want more of God. If you're with me this morning in this sense of God, do it again. Visit us. Would you just lift up your hand with me this morning? And would you let that hand that's lifted up flow down into your feet? I've got a song once again I want to play for you. I need you to listen to the words as you come this morning and close this service up with me, crying out to God, Visit us. Visit us. 
come right now. Come as we play the song. Come. Don't wait. Please, just come. 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 He's promised to fill hungry hearts. Amen. 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 Lord Jesus yes. now and then. 